after a long pause, we are back on the host dispatch, and it is with heavy hearts that we gather today to talk about Women in Translation Month, which was one of Joe's favorite episodes of the podcast and favorite months of the year. And we have recently lost Joe Bratcher, our publisher. He passed last month, and we are still deep in the throes of grieving him and that great loss. Uh, he founded Host Publications, and we wouldn't be here without him. So we're super grateful to Joe, and we miss him very much. And it feels a little odd to be talking about women in translation without him, but I also think it is in honor of him that we we gather to talk about this today. Absolutely. Um, we are just, we couldn't be grieving someone more. Um, Joe did so much for publishing. Um, he worked in publishing for 34 years. Mm -hmm. And if you know any of the host publications history, you might already know that, you know, in the last five years, we shifted to publishing authors in the States, a lot of Texas-based authors focusing on women and marginalized voices. Um, but in the past, host publications published works in translation, and many of them women, and many of them, yeah. some of my personal favorite books, like The Eat of a Towel, uh, The Ursula Koshal, just extraordinary, life-changing work that he brought to the States and translated into English for us. Um, but it feels feels impossible to carry on, um, and especially with the podcast, because he loved it so much, yeah. and he loved being a guest and would absolutely be here with us today recording this if he could. Mm -hmm. But in his honor, we're happy to be here and share some of our personal favorite authors, poets that we've had conversations with Joe about. Absolutely. Um, and we carry him with us for this episode. Absolutely. And I know I, for one, would not have discovered the poet that I'm going to be reading today without Malvern Books, Joe's other passion project here in Austin. And so, yeah, it's really impossible to say how much he has influenced my life and my passions, uh, my passion for books. And I'm I'm so grateful for that, that I've had the opportunity to to spend time with him and talk about so many authors and so many great books that I've come to treasure every single day in my life. So yeah, it's going to be hard, but <sighs> we're going to do it. Yeah, we're here. Yep. Um, and we're showing up and that's where many beautiful things happen. It's just gathering ourselves and composing ourselves and honoring and remembering the people that, that we love and that shaped us. Well said. Well, Lenar, I know that you're going to go first today. Um, uh, tell me about the poet that you chose for Women in Translation Month this year. Wow. Um, let's get started. So I'm recognizing this poet as like the ultimate sad girl. Um, <laughs> just goes well with all my sad girl playlists. Phoebe Bridgers, Angel Olsen. <laughs> just 
bad girl music, but um, I bring today Alejandra Pizarnik's Extracting the Stone of Madness, poems from 1962 to 1972, published by New Directions. And Alejandra Pizarnik was born in Buenos Aires to Russian Jewish immigrant parents. She studied philosophy and literature at the University of Buenos Aires before dropping out to pursue painting and her own poetry. In 1960, she moved to Paris, where she befriended writers such as Octavio Paz, Julio Cortazar, and Selena Ocampo, which is, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know how obsessed we are with Selena. <laughs> um, a lot of her work explores like solitude and internal darkness, death. Mm-hmm. Unclear, when I was reading Alejandra Pizarnik, it reminded me of so many of the beautiful conversations you and I have had this past year about being searching poets, these yes. kind of poets that it's like they're walking through the dark with their hands out, ready to graze upon something mysterious, something mystical. And this book just resonated with me and in this newfound grief Mm -hmm. that has created a capacity within myself that was once unfamiliar um, and unexplored. And so it's not so much that I find her work sad as it is that I find it curious and Mm. find it, yeah, like a, a, a curious approach to mysticism almost. Um, there's like a darkness to it, but it's not, it's not like negative. I know what you mean. I feel like she's not just willing to plumb the depths of that darkness, which is also despair and sadness and grief, but she, it's not that she's willing to do it. She just lives there. Yeah. She just is is there. It's heartbreaking, but it's also, like you said, sometimes just true for us. And it it can be somehow comforting, I think, to read work that reflects our inner depths of darkness rather than trying to put a little band-aid on it with a happy poem, because that just doesn't work. (laughs) I'm reminded of like, you know, in Pan's Labyrinth, the movie by Guillermo Mm. del Toro, we have this main character, Ophelia, who is the princess of darkness. (laughs) It just feels like like Alejandra Pizarnik is like super metal and like oh yeah really owns it. Um, I don't sense a fear. I sense a comfort in this space that she explores. But would you like me to read to you a few poems that really resonated with me today? Please. A lot of the poems in Extracting the Stones of Madness are are really short. Um, which like I just love a great short poem because I'm just like. How did did this happen? How did they do it? (laughs) Okay, let me read it to you. Okay. Vertigo, or a contemplation of things that come to an end. This lilac unleaves. It falls from itself and hides its ancient shadow. I will die of such things. Oh my gosh. I also just love the title, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the part that says, 
or a contemplation of things that come to an end. I love a short, short poem with a title that is almost as long as the poem itself. <laughs> you're sick, but I see where you're coming from. <laughs> but I feel like this poem is actually the opposite of sad. It's like, I'm going to die because this mm -hmm. lilac and its ancient shadow are so beautiful. You know, it also reminds me of the Yeats poem that Joe read to us in the spring for Poetry Month. Mm -hmm. Sailing to Byzantium. Sailing to Byzantium. And it reminds me of, and I don't know if I'm just, just really intense these days, but this lilac, you know, shriveling up and falling and turning to dust reminds me of the fourth stanza in Sailing to Byzantium that reads, Once out of nature... I shall never take my bodily form from any natural thing, but such a form as Grecian goldsmiths make of hammered gold and gold enameling to keep a drowsy emperor awake, or set upon a golden bough to sing to lords and ladies of Byzantium of what is past or passing or to come. Oh, I love that stanza. And I just... I like the idea of this leaf mm -hmm. having a presumed or a previous life to it. Also, there's like an eternity loop, I think. And this lilac unleaves, it falls from itself and hides its ancient mm -hmm. shadow. So that's like most of the poem there. But the unleaves could be, because that's not a word, so it could be <laughs> it returns like it left and came back, so it unleaves, or its leaves fall off of it. I, I love that sort of double entendre there. And the idea that if it has left and come back is that idea that it's kind of eternal. And that's why its shadow is ancient, because it's the same lilac just coming back again and again and again every year. I will die of such things. That's why I feel like that line is, that last line is, just overcome with the with like the vertigo of how staggering that thought is or how beautiful it is yeah there is a delight and a girlishness to that statement mm -hmm. yeah of like oh it just kills me when when this happens or yeah there's there's a sense of joy in it i agree with you i love it <laughs> i will just i will die of such things um so yeah, that's one of the shorties that I brought. Um, so this next poem is titled A Musical Hell. It's pretty brief as well, but not as brief as the other poem. A Musical Hell. They strike with suns. Nothing couples with anything here. And with so much carry-on in this grave for the sharp bones of my memory. And with so many nuns who rush like crows to poke between my legs. All these fragments rend me. Impure dialogue. A desperate expulsion from the verbal matter. Free unto herself. Shipwrecking into herself. Hmm. Shipwrecking into herself. Mm-hmm. 
yeah also cup coupled with free unto herself is like <laughs> freedom equals shipwrecking into yourself <laughs> it, it it makes sense yeah these are such beautiful um standalone lines though that's like yeah. this whole poem is not necessarily easy to connect but i feel like each line and that's the way it's laid out on the page too they're double spaced so every single line stands on its own mm -hmm. and then in the center we have all these fragments rend me in italics and i feel like that is really that's really what connects it all these yeah. are fragments they're very dense yeah. and i can read it to you in spanish if it interests you i mean that um, sounds fun okay <laughs> i i only suggest it because in spanish the weight of some of these words mm -hmm. so like they strike with sons is originally in spanish golpean con soles the word golpean is like so much more violent than the word strikes <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's it's a beating it's like it's brutal yeah and do you feel like it's a good do you feel like strike is a good translation is it direct or is it indirect what do you mean by direct or indirect well i'm wondering if they chose the word strike for the translation because it corresponds to the idea of music because you can strike a symbol or mm -hmm. you, i guess there's a lot of instruments you can strike and i'm wondering if golpean is more like beat or pound or if there's a more direct link to a different word but they chose strike yeah. intentionally i felt like the original was more like i said violent mm -hmm. um and this is translated by Yvette Siegert. Yeah. We'll have to send her an email. <laughs> yeah, let her know. But that's the beauty of translation. Let's go ahead and get into that, is that yeah. it is interpreted by someone who is passionate about this author, who probably knows more about this poet than like the average person can pull from the internet or mm -hmm. from a bio. Some translators just like interview family and like, I'm thinking of um, Remedios Varos biographer. Uh, oh, yeah. Tere Arc. Tere Arc. Uh, who like, I have heard talk about her clothes and her personal yeah. like demeanor. And it was just very familiar um, with Remedios Varos. But so I... I have hope and faith that a translator serves as a medium for a poet when done right. And so I think the word golpean is like, it's, it's just, I see a bruise <laughs> when I hear it. Um, wow. There are some great words in Spanish in this poem. Words I don't know, certainly, but mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can do a one-to-one -one, mm -hmm. uh, correlation from page to page, like shipwrecking naufragando that is a cool word that is an amazing and it looks beautiful on the page it does wow i feel like the the correlation to this musical hell of grief uh <laughs> is like fragmentation like that central line all these fragments rend me it's like 
things stop making sense at a certain point and mm. you get all this sensory information or just pieces of life in fragments, it feels like. I'm reading that into the poem based on our particular experience recently. Yeah. But that really sings to me. <laughs> the word fragment, like, I I think that's what that center line in italics, all these fragments rend me, is what drove this piece home for me. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about in Dadaism, the concept of the like disembodied or like dismembered or um, <laughs> these are violent words. Um, <laughs> I feel like those words are accurate, though. Yeah. You feel a loss. <laughs> uh, dislocation is another good one for describing what I think happens in surrealism mm -hmm. and Dada of feeling like someone or something in the poem is unlocatable. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, how often have we described our our loss as feeling like we've lost a limb or yeah. feeling like, yeah, there's this space that is, we notice the absence. Yeah. Well, and I'm not trying to make us cry right now, but <laughs> I know that, and this is just what happens when you lose someone is like you, your brain can't catch up mm -hmm. to the reality, even though you know they're gone. And so sitting in the office, it's hard not to think like there's Joe's desk, like he's going to just pull up yeah. in the Volvo at any moment. Um, I do think that the brain takes time to actually catch up to the reality. And so those little moments where your brain's like something in you is like, oh, is that Joe's car? It, it mm -hmm. takes so long for that to go away. And yeah, I mean, everything just takes time. But I feel like the fragmentation is definitely where we're living now. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you're listening this far, um, you might know that like you learn to live with it and find joy in that space but but it's it's hard and and joe was a giant um he was somehow in three places at once <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it's very noticeable yeah claire what did you bring for us today yeah i brought a poet who is definitely associated with surrealism and she is also a painter mm -hmm. surrealist painter her name is alice pollen rahon and no i don't know how to say her two last names but that's my best <laughs> my best try um this book of hers actually came out this year. It's called Shapeshifter, and it was translated from the French and introduced by Mary Ann Cause. So she's, of course, our, yes, she's our champion of women in surrealism, but also just a, a great translator. Um, and we have a fun anecdote about her, don't we? Yes. And listeners, I was fist pumping. Um, <laughs> I know you can't see me, uh, but. I love Mary Ann Cause. Um, yeah. We encountered some of her personal books that had her initials in them mm -hmm. at a used bookstore in New Orleans this spring, a trip we went on with Joe, and it was absolutely magical. So, yeah, it felt really good to reread these poems by Alice 
and also to to think about that experience we had with Marianne Cause books mm. and and think of how yeah. what a, a giant of a translator she is and a champion of women in surrealism. So <laughs> this book is out by NYRB. So it's Shapeshifter by Alice Paulin Rahone. NYRB put it out earlier this year. And I'll give a little bio. Alice was born in France. She married the Austrian painter Wolfgang Pollen, and he was invited to join the Surrealist group by André Breton. So I don't think she got a formal invitation, but over time, the scholars have come to uh, redefine who and who was not part of the Surrealist movement, um, which of course gives these women an opportunity. And so her circle of friends in Paris included Paul Eluard, Roland and Valentine Penrose, Pablo Picasso, and she had several love affairs, including one with Pablo Picasso and one with Valentine Penrose. So she was a very free lady. <laughs> um, but after Hitler started taking over Germany, she and Wolfgang fled to eventually to Mexico mm. um, in 1939. When she passed away, she was a naturalized citizen of Mexico, so she spent a lot of her time there painting uh, and writing poems. She's a really haunting poet as well, but in a more surreal way, her imagery is is quite psychedelic and and really strange in some beautiful ways. So I just love her work so much. Yes. Can I mention that mm -hmm. I first discovered Alice Rahone as a painter this past, oh my gosh, maybe it was about a year ago. Um, I don't know what time is, but she has, it was before this book came out. I remember this. And she has a painting at the Blanton Museum, I think a couple, in the Latin American art exhibit right next to Leonora Carrington's mm -hmm. piece. And I read the bio and it said, you know, painter and poet. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> how do I not know this? Um, and so I did some Googling and I was like, there's a book coming out. Actually, you texted me a picture of that painting and were like, I think you would be really into this. And I was like, she has a book coming out within YRB yeah. and I am on the edge of my seat waiting for it. Um, and by wow. the way, this is the first time her work has been translated into English. So I remember reading a book about women in surrealism and her name was mentioned and her books were mentioned and they were not available in English yet. Oh so gosh. it's it's a big deal that we can read these poems now. I can't believe it took this long. Thank you, Mary Ann. See, this is, I know. This is the power of translation. Yep. That was such a cool little moment, though. <laughs> you found her painting. Oh, my gosh. But... I remember I texted you and Joe that day, like mm -hmm. immediately. Um, oh, wow. But what poems are you bringing for us today? Well, this collects poems from several books that she published in French over the years. And so I want to start with one from the first section. And the title of the book that it comes from, her original publication, was On Bare Earth, published in 1936. The poem is on page 77, and this is an untitled poem. I don't know what we are supposed to think about life and death. I only know how much I love the sunlight. 
if a horse grows old, dead tired, performing unworthy tasks, it still keeps on its forehead, between those innocent planets, its eyes, this marvelous flower of miracle and madness. Evil, no one can do anything against that, nor to the wind that sharpens the birds into living arrows. Behind closed windows, curtains of dust. In corridors, no one passes through anymore. When the sun in profile joins a bare white wall, you would need a telescope, as in the world of stars. I don't know how to read the lightning's calligraphy. Wow, that final line. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> it's bookended with I don't knows. I don't know what we're supposed to mm. think about life and death. And at the end, I don't know how to read the lightning's calligraphy. Oh, man. This poem builds so well. This is reminding me of like, you know, in love and loss, you just search so much. Um, And I love that it feels like Alice has searched so deeply that she's now trying to decode mm. lightning strikes. <laughs> yes. It's like we start with a very simple statement. I don't know what we are supposed to think about life and death, but we sort of build into these bizarre images of like the planets of the horse's eyes and the flower of miracle and madness growing from its forehead. Mm. It's very surreal, of course, but I feel like it's very genuine. It's in response to this idea that we don't know what to make of death or of life. <laughs> She's really just sort of, like you said, probing the darkness and just finding what is genuinely and truly there uh, in her mind as opposed to trying to come up with some logical, reasonable explanation. It's poetry. It's, it's not nonfiction. So it finds these, to me, what feel like very earnest avenues of thought and image association in response to this idea, as opposed to like making a thesis about it. <laughs> and that's comforting to me in a weird way, because I also don't know what to make of it. And I also don't know how to read the lightning's calligraphy. And I think that's just mm -hmm. such a, that place of not knowing and of holding both the miracle of it all and the madness of it in your hands at the same time or in your mind at the same time is so true. Oh my gosh. Beautifully said, Claire. Oh, <laughs> oh I just love her writing so much. and. I wish I knew the French. I'd read I'd read for you the French. Now you can read the French too if you like. If you find a line you want to <laughs> deliver, but uh, I'm shy. I can't even say her name, so <laughs> Yeah. It's a good little poem. All right. Shall I move to another? Yes. Will you spoil us with with at least one more? Of course. <laughs> okay. Here's one that I loved so much. I have a little sticky note on this page because I loved this poem so much. And it is from her 1938 collection called Reclining Hourglass. 
also untitled. She was a big fan of the untitled poem. Um, so yeah, Anar, this one is on page 113. Here is Orion, the great man of the sky, stretched out on the highest mountain, among the large pools of the stone's white blood, grazing the prairies of night. Here is my life, around my body, always offered, always withdrawn, like a star fleeing the sky, the spikes of my blood flowering and knocking at the door. Here is the tree of solitude. Here is the faithful bouquet of tortured flowers. Here is the night returned, bearing in its arms the human constellation, whose head is a lighthouse. Here is my face afire, seen in the mirror of ghosts, at the height of trees, at the height of frozen vertebra set free. What a beautiful portrait. Wow. I don't even know what to say about this one. It's just, <laughs> it's a litany, I think, because of the repetition of here. So it's got a real musical quality, that yeah. kind of beating drum of the here that just makes a little space for another pocket of language. Wow. I really like that kind of musical technique. Anar, how do you say here in French? Voici. Mm-hmm. Voici la nuit revenue. That was one of my favorite lines. Here is the night returned. And I think I can't help but to think of the lilac yeah. and leaves. Again, it's that idea of something ending and returning and ending and returning, that kind of eternity. Mm. Both of these poets go dark. They really do, mm -hmm. which might feel like an odd choice for grieving people. But I feel like... There's these odd little glimmers of eternity in them. And also, mm. the last two words of this poem, the last line of this poem is set free. Frozen vertebra set free. Man, I love it so much. It's pretty metal. Like, you used the word metal earlier. <laughs> She's... <laughs> you know, the stone's white blood. and I love the spikes of my blood flowering and knocking at the door. Oh. Here is the tree of solitude. Oh my gosh. Those are like some of my favorite lines of poetry I've read in a while. You know that feeling of your blood spiking, flowering, and knocking at the door. It's like this flutter, this pulse, this a feeling of instability or like when your emotions are really affecting you and you don't have control over your own body, yeah. you know, it's so good. My gosh, this is beautiful. I think that I need, I need you to read the whole book to me. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those that as soon as I read it, I knew I would be returning to it again and again, mm -hmm. and now felt like a perfect time. Um, I love the thought of her, you know, the title of the book is Shapeshifter. And I love the thought of her being a shapeshifter herself, moving from France to Mexico and having these two different lives 
and being a poet, but also a painter and having these sort of split personalities. And also she was romantically involved with both women and men, you know, like you really think, think about it. And on every, in every little part of her life, she was a shapeshifter. And I really appreciate that ability of the surrealists and of Alice in particular to be whatever she wants to be and not feel like she has to define herself by one part of her, her life or the movement that she's a part of as an artist. Um, I really respect that. Yeah. I'm also just moved by these two poets in their proof of being comfortable with beginnings and ends and it's not even so much comfortable, but I guess accepting because there's so much beginning and ending in, in these works. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I sat with my tarot cards yesterday night and there's, there's so much symbolism in, in, in the tarot within itself of, of cycles of like accepting the end and the beginning and how, they are often the same, found mm. in the same place. Um, so, well, if Alice was friends with Leonora Carrington, and I believe she was, and also with Remedios Faro, she was probably into tarot cards too. I, I definitely sensed a lot of from both of these a lot of respect for the stories that tarot can help shape. Yeah, totally. Oh, I think our poets would have been friends if they knew each other. Yes. Wish I had a time machine. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Does this conclude oh. our Women in Translation month episode? I believe it does. Do we have anything to plug? Yeah. We have some incredible Women in Translation titles in our backlist. And our backlist is currently 50% off at hostpublications.com. Mm -hmm. um, we're calling it a heat wave sale <laughs> because <laughs> it is so hot. Um, so just head on over. You don't need a code. It's just set. You just add to cart and check out. Yay. Yeah. Get some, get some women in translation and obviously we'll be reading them all year long, but it's a fun time to, to celebrate this very important part of the literary landscape in August. So thanks for being here and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.